This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals. The information presented is for general educational purposes only and should not be used as professional medical advice or for the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions. The views and opinions expressed do not represent the views and opinions of our employer or any affiliated institution. Expressed opinions are based on scientific facts under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions or in any legal proceeding. Full terms and conditions can be found at portablebeads.com. And now onto the episode. Howdy, and welcome to Portable Beads, the pediatric board review podcast. I'm Ryan, and with me as always is my co-host, Sam. Hey, guys. And this is our last case for the month of immunology, talking about immunodeficiencies. If you want to listen to the previous two episodes, we talked about both B and T cell immunodeficiencies, which is the adaptive immune system, and today it's all about the innate immune system, which we'll talk plenty about. So let's just jump right into the case. A 12-year-old male presented to the ED for fever and appearing very ill, quote-unquote, according to his mother. On history, the mother states he's had multiple episodes of skin abscesses, sinusitis, and pneumonia since birth. This patient was subsequently admitted to the PICU and diagnosed with an immunodeficiency in the accelerated phase based on a blood smear showing giant azurophilic granules in the neutrophils. Unfortunately, he passed away shortly after admission. Which of the following organisms was likely the cause of this child's death? Is it A, Neisseria meningitidis? Is it B, Staphylococcus aureus? Is it C, Nocardia? D, Epstein-Barr virus? Or E, Aspergillus? Take a second, think about it, and if you need to look at the case, it's in the show notes if you need to pause the episode. All right, so let's jump into this. Like I said, this case, we're going to focus on immunodeficiencies of the innate immune system, which is comprised of complement, NK cells, toll-like receptors, and phagocytes, rather than the adaptive immune system, which is comprised of B and T cells, immunoglobulins, and plasma cells. So the correct answer for this question is D, Epstein-Barr virus. So this patient has Chediak-Higashi syndrome, which is an autosomal recessive phagocyte defect. So patients typically have oculocutaneous albinism with silvery hair in this disorder. While their platelet counts are often normal, they often are typically prone to easy bleeding and bruising due to abnormal platelet function. They also tend to get frequent skin and sinopulmonary infections. If they survive until adulthood, they can actually develop ataxia and peripheral neuropathy. However, 85% of patients will eventually progress to the accelerated phase of this disorder. The accelerated phase can happen at any age and is caused by excessive lymphocyte proliferation due to EBV infection. These patients will typically present with high fevers, moderate to severe lymphadenopathy, hepatosplenomegaly, and pancytopenia. These patients can often be mistaken for patients with ALL until they're officially diagnosed with their immunodeficiency, and they tend to have a very poor prognosis, hence why this patient passed away. Diagnosis can be made by the presence of giant azurophilic granules in the neutrophils, like in this patient. You may also see giant inclusion bodies in leukocyte precursor cells and or pigment clumping in the hair of their silvery hair seen on light microscopy. 
patients can be treated with a bone marrow transplant either before the accelerated phase or once the accelerated phase is in remission. Um, typically, they don't do a bone marrow transplant during the active accelerated phase. And if they're currently in the accelerated phase to put them into remission, they often are treated with chemotherapy agents such as steroids and either etoposide or vincristine. Next, we're going to shift gears entirely and talk about complement disorders. And then Sam will talk about some of the other phagocytic defects. So answer choice A, Neisseria meningitidis, was talking about terminal complement deficiency or a deficiency of C5 to 9. So before we talk about complement deficiencies, let's just take a step back and go over the basics of the complement pathways. If you're anything like me, I haven't thought about these pathways since med school. It's not my day-to-day life where I think about the alternative pathway or the lectin pathway. So speaking of which, in short, there are three initial pathways, the classical lectin and alternative pathways that activate C3 to C3B. C3B will then activate C5 to form C5 to 9, known as the membrane attack complex, or MAC. The MAC functions by creating a hole in bacterial cell walls, allowing for cell lysis. Uh, This specifically works on bacteria that are not normally susceptible to opsonization and phagocytosis, such as Haemophilus, Miraxilla, and most importantly, Neisseria. So therefore, if you have a deficiency in C5, 6, 7, 8, or 9, then you're unable to form the membrane attack complex like normal. And this typically presents as severe disseminated Neisseria sepsis or meningitis. However, on the opposite end of the spectrum, that's terminal complement, but the early complement, C1 through 4, those patients also are at risk for developing infections with encapsulated bacteria such as Neisseria meningitidis, strep pneumo, and Haemophilus influenza. However, they differ from terminal complement in that they're at increased risk for developing autoimmune deficiencies, especially uh, systemic lupus erythematosus, or SLE, or just lupus for short. So, Sam, you want to take us through some of the other phagocytic disorders? Absolutely. So, when we see answer choices B, C, and E, looking at Staph aureus, Nocardia, and Aspergillus, these are often referring to other phagocytic disorders. Um, so, there's three of these that we wanted to discuss. The first of this is leukocyte adhesion deficiency, or commonly known as LAD. This has three types. So type 1 is the classic type, which is often tested on exams. Patients with LAD type 1 can have severe disease with about 75% mortality rate by age 2 or a more mild to moderate illness. This disease is autosomal recessive and is due to abnormal or deficient beta-2 integrin, which is used for immobilization of leukocytes to the extravascular sites of inflammation. Diagnosis can be made by the absence of CD18 on flow cytometry, and they often have a leukocytosis as well on their CBC, often greater than 29,000. Because of this deficiency, patients present initially with delayed separation of the umbilical cord, which is a classic board question. The umbilical cord normally separates by two weeks of life, but is considered abnormal if it's still present after four weeks of life. They can also get omphalitis, which is an infection of the umbilical cord stump, and recurrent severe pyogenic infections, including periodontitis, gingivitis, and perirectal abscesses. Infections are predominantly caused by Staph aureus and Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Treatment of LAD1 is with an allogenic hematopoietic stem cell transplant. The next one that we want to talk about is hyper-IgE syndrome, or actually you may have heard of this as Job syndrome. Um, which this is an autosomal dominant or recessive disorder, but the autosomal dominant form is the most common and is caused by mutation in STAT3. This syndrome is known as Job syndrome um, in reference to the biblical Job, who is smote with sore boils, which sounds like a terrible way to live. Um, this syndrome is typically present with the classic triad, um, which includes eczema, recurrent skin and lung infections, and elevated IgE levels. However, 
These patients also tend to have other systemic manifestations, such as scoliosis, hyperextensibility, Chiari-1 malformations, craniosynostosis, arterial aneurysms, and an increased chance of developing lymphoma. You can see characteristic facial features, such as facial asymmetry, a prominent forehead, deep-set eyes, a broad nose, triangular jaw, and two rows of teeth due to retained primary teeth, which I'm sure looks gnarly on x-ray. Um, the face can also have this rough appearance due to an exaggerated pore size as well. Um, looking at this, skin abscesses are also common in these kiddos, but they're often referred to as cold abscesses because they lack increased warmth, erythema, or pain. Their frequent pyogenic pneumonias are typically caused by staph aureus, strep pneumo, and H flu. And after they resolve these pneumonias, they can have poor healing, which may lead to pneumatoceles and or bronchiectasis, which predisposes them to future infections in these spaces due to pseudomonas and aspergillus. They also frequently get mucocutaneous infections with candida albicans. So all the things can be present. Diagnosis can be made with elevated levels of IgE, so usually greater than 2,000, and eosinophilia. However, as these patients age, their IgE levels can decrease, and once in adulthood, these IgE levels can actually even normalize in about 20% of patients. Therefore, elevated IgE levels are actually not a diagnostic uh, criteria that's necessary for hyper-IgE syndrome. And lastly, we're going to talk about chronic granulomas disease. Brian, do you want to tell us more about this? Of course. So CGD, or chronic granulomatous disease, is due to a defect in NADPH oxidase, which leads to a lack of the respiratory burst needed to kill catalase-positive organisms, such as Staph aureus, Serratia marcescens, Burkholderia cepatia, Salmonella, Nicardia, and Aspergillus. This is typically X-linked recessive, but about one-third of cases are autosomal recessive. Uh, patients tend to present with recurrent infections, especially separative lymphadenitis, skin infections, pneumonias, brain abscesses, and osteomyelitis, along with GI and or GU obstruction due to granuloma formation. Hepatosplenomegaly may also be present. The way they might ask this in a question is in terms of how they make the diagnosis. So definitive diagnosis can be made with uh, the DHR or NBT testing. So the DHR is dihydrorhodamine oxidation, and the NBT is nitroblue tetrazoleum slide test. So we'll talk about what those kind of mean and how those tests look and what's positive and negative for those. So for when a normal white blood cell is exposed to NBT or the nitroblue tetrazoleum, the produced cellular oxidants turn the NBT into a deep blue color. So a patient with CGD will not turn the agent blue when mixed with their white blood cells. So if they say on a question that a patient presents and they do an NBT test and the, the reagent turns blue, that means they do not have CGD because they have turned it blue and they have normal oxidation from their white blood cells. In uh, by contrast, similarly, the phagocytic cells reduce DHR to the from dihydrorhodamine just to rhodamine, and so the amount of reaction can be measured by flow cytometry, and it's less susceptible to subjective lab error, like in the NBT. The NBT tends to be either they have it or they don't, whereas DHR is more a spectrum and they can grade it on flow cytometry. So labs may also show, uh, besides those oxidation tests, the labs may show hypergammaglobulinemia, anemia, and leukocytosis due to the repeated infections and kind of chronic inflammation. Treatment is often with hematopoietic stem cell transplant or prophylactic antibiotics like Bactrim, also known as trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, and itraconazole. 
But that's all we got for you today, guys. Tune in next week for our review episode. And if you noticed over the past three weeks, you're like, wow, you guys talked about all these immunodeficiencies and you didn't mention the biggest one of all, Skid. Well, you know what? We didn't forget. It's in our review episode next week. So tune in to hear about that. Also, check us out. We've got social media. We've got a website. We've got an email. But you know what? We would love for you to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would tremendously help us get other people to view the podcast and for us to think what you think of it and how we can improve or just what you love about it. But that'll do it for this week's episode. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye, guys. Have a great week.